thank you for joining us for another episode of Jackman Radio. I am one half of the Jackman Twins and your host, Eric Jackman. And I'm the other half, Mike Jackman. How's it going tonight there, duties? You know, I'm good. I'm glad we could do a podcast tonight and we're really settling into October, which is my favorite month. Yeah, I know it's probably your favorite month too, but it's the best month of the year. It's our birthday, you know, uh, in any normal year when there wasn't some stupid virus, the NHL is getting going again, September, October, usually October. So there's historical things that are always nice about this month. And then of course, it's John Lennon's birthday. And that's one of the reasons we wanted to record a podcast tonight, something that we want to talk about. And obviously, I was very excited and inspired to see Sean Lennon do a podcast for, I believe, BBC Two, where he interviewed Elton John, who I didn't even know this, Elton John's his godfather, and his brother Julian Lennon, and then Paul McCartney. And I think this is the first time Sean Lennon has ever publicly really spoken about his father like that in depth but also with those people, which are all people who really knew John Lennon. So pretty awesome, man. That was really cool. I, I just finished the second part today, and, and I thought it was a uh, very unique and uh, touching personal in-depth look into John Lennon beyond all the um, media hype and the headlines and all the legends. And Sean was really trying to demystify his father because, you know, he was, he was only five years old when his father was killed sadly, you know, in December of 1980. And, you know, John would have been 80 years old this week. And it's 40 years in December that he's been gone. So he's been gone now this, the same amount of time that he lived 40 years. That's so, crazy, dude. Yeah, it was quite, a, it was very um, interesting and touching to hear him speak with his older brother, Julian Lennon, uh, Sean, uh, John's first son, um, that he had with um, Cynthia Powell. I think her name was Cynthia Powell. Well, Cynthia, Cynthia Lennon. Yes, yeah, Cynthia wife. Powell. Yeah. yeah, they were they were married. Len, Lennon was John Lennon was married to her at a very young age. And they when was Julian born? Sixty two. Sixty two or sixty three, and they they kept that from the fans for a long time, you know. Mm. But then they had some kind of tongue in cheek thing where it said, "Oh, sorry, girls, John's married," you know. And he was he was uh, married very young and and had Julian very young. I think he was. 22 or 23 years old when Julian was born. And what everyone didn't know is he the whole time was secretly married to Paul McCartney. Oh yeah. Oh, totally. <laughs> they loved each other. And that was really awesome too, to hear Paul McCartney speak with Sean, uh, just about meeting John Lennon for the first time, seeing him. And yeah, you know, I, I saw him on the bus and he's, you know, he's, he was this teddy boy kind of dressed you know, like a teddy boy. And I thought, oh, he's interesting. We didn't really know what we were doing with the songs back then. He's like, well, I first, I first saw him on the bus, and then I saw him in a queue to get fish and chips. He was getting fish and chips. He <laughs> yeah, was, yeah. You, you took note of the fish and chips, too. He was buying fish and chips. You know, I just, I just picture that. I love fish and chips, too, by the way. I and mean, when you can get a big, nice, beautiful, crisp, high-quality batter plate of fish and chips like haddock and you get the newspaper and it kind of yeah. goes into the newspaper a little bit with some vinegar, salt and pepper and, yeah. and cut French fries. Where, I mean, would you say Mike around here, probably S and S lobster is where you can get the best fish and chip. Well, the or fish Maine. is good. Yeah. yeah. But the, the chip, the chip part is hard because no one does hand cut homemade fries. No, Everything's I would frozen say probably, bullshit. probably Maine, probably that summer we went up to Woolwich, Maine with auntie Annie and Laura, um, our aunt and our mm. sister two summers ago uh and i, just, I that's mean, right we're talking right on the water basically i think those fries were, you're gonna get fries were hand cut too i think if i remember they were and they were Correctly. hot they were hot yeah. anyways um yeah paul mccartney gave just really great recollections of uh be the beginnings of their musical careers as teenagers i mean you got to remember when they met they were teenagers and they they ran together from the late 50s all the way up to 1970 so you know, that, that's, that's a long time to know someone and grow up with them. And, uh, you know, Sean pointed out that, that John and Paul wrote these incredible songs by the time they were in their mid to late 20s. I mean, what do you, you know, when you're in your 20s, I mean, you're still trying to figure out who you are as a person and, and have these life experiences. And, you know, I, it's the same thing I say about the Beach Boys and Brian Wilson. The music that those guys wrote and that Brian wrote and produced at such a young age. I mean, Pet Sounds came out when he was like 24 years old. So he wrote God Only Knows when he was 23, 24? Yeah. 
it's 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 cosmic you know it's something but sean really had a great conversation with elton john as well and he really just kind of said you know, if it weren't for your friendship with my dad, I might not even be alive. Well, yeah, you I, talked, never talked about the, the historic concert, uh, Thanksgiving even in 1974 at Madison Square Garden, where Elton John brought John Lennon up on stage to sing Whatever Gets You Through the Night. And, the, and the, I saw her standing there. And I saw her standing there. And the thing was, John said, if uh, Whatever Gets You Through the Night goes number one, I'll come perform on stage with you. You know, not thinking it would ever happen. Oh, those bollocks! What happened? It, it fucking happened. It went number one, and uh, John lived up to his part of the bargain and joined Elton John on stage. And I think was that the last time John Lennon ever performed publicly? That was John Lennon's last public performance. Wow! Yep. So he was About thirty six years before he, he died. Thirty four. He was just thirty. So he's just what we're turning on Saturday. Right. Yeah, and that's another thing too. John Lennon's birthday is October 9th. So is his son Sean's. Sean was born October 9th, nineteen seventy four. John seventy five. Excuse me, 75. John was born October 9th, uh, 1940. Uh, we were born October 10th, 1986. So it's kind of cool that, you know, every year on our birthday, it's, uh, we're associated with John. John's my favorite Beatle, too. He always has been since I was probably, you know, a little boy in third, fourth, or fifth grade when I first became aware of the Beatles. And I wanted to share that story. Really what got me into music and, and – um, you know, just the entrance into my life of music was uh, our mom and dad had a record player when we lived down in Massachusetts. And back in the, back in the mid nineties, um, you know, you discover your parents' record collection. And I discovered uh, it was either John's first or second solo album. So shaved fish. Yeah. And imagine. Well, imagine, which was John's second. I think it was imagine. Cause that's the kind of the cloudy cover, the photo yeah. of him and it's kind dad, of cloudy. Dad had that on vinyl. So Dad had Imagine on vinyl, which is John Lennon's second solo album, which is an incredible album. I mean, it has Jealous Guy on it. It has How, um, Oh My Love, and Imagine. And, and, th and those songs are still some of my most favorite songs to listen to. Um, it, it's just timeless music. You know, it's, it's really timeless music. And um, not to skip over his contribution to the Beatles and what he did with the Beatles, I wanted to just kind of touch on John Lennon's solo career. A little bit because really i mean his solo career you could say it began in 1969 when he was doing stuff with yoko and they had the the wedding album and the primal scream and all that um, but he was also performing outside of the beatles uh with yoko and the plastic uno band um and really just trying to do new innovative things that were totally different than the beatles and you know he was only 29 30 years old at this time when he launched his solo career and he was making music that was really raw and really honest and, and really different than anything he was doing with the Beatles. And, and I think 50 years later, that really still resonates. And that's why we're talking about him now in, you know, October of 2020. And he still means so much to so many people around the world as music fans, but also to other musicians and, and, and respected people within the arts and, and the entertainment fields. And I just, I feel like it's still such a huge loss you know, that he, he was killed the way he was 40 years ago. And it's, it's reverberated. And you think about what he contributed to popular culture and, and the arts and history and music. And then, it, you know, it pains you to think about what we could have had since then. But he does have such an impressive body of work that um, it's, it's always worth talking about and revisiting, especially in the lens of what's going on now in, in, in our country and in the world and everything that we're seeing. I'm sure he'd have a lot to say about it. What really struck me was, you know, much like you and I are doing, two brothers having a conversation, you know, probably Sean more so than Julian, although I know it wasn't until later on in Julian's teen years that he really started to make a relationship or connect with John. They, he talked about talking to him on the phone, John playing double fantasy for him when that was coming out, like just like starting over, you know. Um, but the way that they connect with their father largely is through his music and, and the words and the songs that he left behind on earth. So it's just, it's, it's kind of hard to fathom and it's, it's unbelievable, you know, cause obviously you and I were lucky enough. We knew our father really well. We had him for 30 years and we actually, you know, knew him. We knew him growing. We knew him at every stage of our life from birth to 30 and Sean only had him for five years and Julian was uh, what? 18, 17, 17 or 17. Yeah. Right. So not, you know, not only do you have to learn about your father through, 
his music and the lyrics and the impact he left on the culture, but then also doing amazing things like this podcast that he talked to, you know, Elton John, who was friends with John Lennon and, and then to talk to Paul McCartney, who was his songwriting partner and his best friend for all those years. Um, it's kind of, a, kind of an amazing and in, in a sad way, a beautifully poetic thing. You know? Yeah, well, yeah, and Sean was also just talking about that his own reading and research that he's done, you know, separately on his own to to learn more about his father because there's so much, so many books about him, so many articles that were published, uh, magazine pieces, you know, films, uh, interviews, and what have you, and and what other people who knew him uh, longer said about him, and that's what he that's what he draws on. So hmm. it was interesting too that he said his earliest memories was was around the time when. Um, John and Yoko were recording Double Fantasy. And yeah. that, of course, came out very shortly before uh, John Lennon's death. November and, of 1980. Uh, yeah. And, and Paul, you know, he asked Paul really what he thought about John's solo work and what really stood out. And, he, and Paul said, you know, I think my fav- one of my favorite songs I've always said was Beautiful Boy, you know, yeah. which is about John, which was, re- it was, uh, it's cool to hear that. So that was, wow. that was an amazing interview. And, and, um, you know, it's making me go back and listen to Imagine Again, as well as the debut John Lennon Plastic Ono Band LP, which my parents also had, that had tracks like Mother, um, Isolation, which is relevant <laughs> right now in 2020, yep. um, the song Hold On, the song God, which is an amazing song. I was song. just about to say, dude, I went and, back and listened to God and just like starting over with he- really good head- headphones. Yeah. God damn, man. How did and he then, write those fucking songs? <laughs> He was tapped into something, man. He, he, he's on the, Lennon himself, I believe, was on the same caliber as like Brian Wilson and Bob Dylan in terms of being a songwriter, being someone who could manipulate and manage words and do wordplay. And, um, and then, you know, one of my favorite Lennon solo tracks is called Love, which is just his vocals, an acoustic guitar and a piano. And it's, it's, uh, it's a beautiful song. Um, it came out in 1971, and I, I, just, I think it has a real timeless quality to it. And that's haunting. kind of the very haunting. And that's kind of the over overarching theme of like, you know, the Beatles music and his solo career is really, it ends up just being about love. And then also what was, what was so cool about John Lennon was that he, you know, he was really kind of like anti-authority. He didn't really want to be told anything. And, and he really did things that he believed in, you know, whether you agree with them or not. And that drew the ire of the FBI and the Nixon administration and, you know, it's it's just incredible to think that he had this platform. He was the, one of the most respected and popular, um, sought after, you know, figures in in, in modern music and, and rock and roll. And you know, he he chose to do things like the bed in with Yoko, where for two weeks he was, you know, in bed, basically promoting peace. You know, one of my favorite quotes is he's he's like, he's like, you know, with sudden peace, like people sell soap. Or whatever, you know, we're advertising for it. And he got all the press to come in there because he could use the Beatles, the, the uh, yeah. mystique of the Beatles to get like a reporter in there and then really kind of fuck with them and kind of like really pick at them. And, and mm. the, the wit that John Lennon had, man, he was so sharp and witty. And that's on display, um, you know, in the film Imagine, which came out in uh, 88, which has a great soundtrack. Oh, yeah. And, Imagine's so good, dude. I mean, he, you know, he's, there's some really great documentaries that focus on Lennon. And I'm really looking forward to the um, kind of the, the new look at uh, at Let It Be, which I Peter think is ja- going to Peter Jackson. Peter Jackson had access to like a hundred hours of footage. I think it's yeah, maybe sixty. Might be sixty hours between sixty and a hundred hours of footage, and he he's really taken a fresh look at it. There's a new book that's authorized that's coming out, um, which is the first authorized book, you know, really collaboratively by the Beatles since I think the anthology book. Hmm. And uh, I think that's going to be really a nice thing to look forward to in 2021. You know what I think we're going to discover too, man, um, is that Yoko Ono is not this monster that broke up the Beatles. She's not the wedge that everyone thinks she was and the cause for them to split up and deteriorate. And, you know, Paul McCartney has even said as much as recently in the last couple of years on Howard Stern. You know, really what was happening is that the four of them were just growing apart creatively and they wanted to do their own things. They were tired of the pressure and tired of the projection that the whole world put on them, you know? And Yeah, uh, oh, for sure. You know, George, George, who's my favorite Beatle, had several songs that ended up being on All Things Must Pass in the can, like ready to do his, for a Beatles album. And, and to present those to Paul and John 
and and be rejected and, and be like, oh, you know, that that's nice. You know, maybe maybe some other time. You know, T- to have those not accepted it, that that shows you where George was at. Man, he was ready to break out, do his own thing, and show the world how brilliant and talented he was, and how he could stand on his own and and really break out of the shadow of John and Paul as the you know driving force of song. You know, the songs for the Beatles. I th- I think you know. Um, 50 years on all things must pass is in the top three Beatles solo albums, if not the best Beatles solo album in the last 50 years. My favorite. It's an, it's an incredible album. I mean, it's, it's a, it's, we could spend a whole podcast just talking about that. <laughs> yeah, and, no, I um, know we were focusing on John, but yeah, John and George, you know, God. Yeah. At the end of the day, man, what, what McCartney really drives home is that they were friends beyond all the legal stuff and all the problems with the lawyers and the money. And um, he just says, you know, when that all got dealt with and put aside, we were just, we're just friends. We were old friends, man, brothers really. Yeah. And Paul did get to see Lennon again, you know, several times before he died in 1980. And, and uh, you know, by the time that he passed away, they were on good terms and right. they, they had, they, you know, they had times together and, you know, it's like anything in life, man. You grow apart from some people or, or you don't see them for a while or hear from them, but, you know, you still, they're still in your heart and, and uh, you know, you're still going to reference them and there's still an affection and, and all the beautiful memories that you have with that person. And right, there's no erasing that. As we go on with life, man, we see that with friends and family, you know, how that can happen, that dynamic. So I think ultimately, man, that's why the Beatles and there's the solo careers resonate with so many people because you can connect so many things from your own life and just really feel like they wrote those songs, but it really just spoke to you. But, it, but millions of people have those feelings. So. Yeah. Well, my, my favorite Beatles song is, is across the universe. That's John Lennon. That's John Lennon's brilliant. That's John Lennon being a cosmic scribe tapped, tapped into something else, getting that inspiration from somewhere else, man. And that was, Really one of the first Beatles songs dad, I think it's the first Beatles song dad ever played for me. So. Oh yeah, probably. The one that he really liked. One he, that he really liked it and he knew that I would like it. And he didn't force it on me or say, you got to listen to this. He just, he had it playing and he, and he bought me the Beatles uh, blue double album for our birthday in 1998. I think it was. Yeah, I remember that. It was yeah. Octo- October of 98. We were uh, 11, 12. 12. Yeah, we were 11 yeah. going on 12. And he, <laughs> Dad bought me this really cool uh, huge CD boombox that had these speakers that were, had wires. They were like big speakers. And uh, it, had a, it, had like, it had like double cassette and a CD built into it. That's and right. Wow, he, I remember that. He bought me uh, um, Oasis, What's the Story, Morning Glory was one of the CDs. And then the other one was the Beatles double album, Blue One, 1967 to 70. And he's like, Oh man, I'm gonna I'm gonna play you a great song, man. I think you're gonna really like it. And it was across the universe, and uh, he played it. <sighs> wow. Yeah, that's yeah, that's right. Wow. So you think you think about how we discovered the Beatles like that in the '90s, and he had that similar experience, but back in the '60s, some you know 30, 30 years earlier, oh, thirty odd years earlier. Yeah, when it came out, when it was a new song, he said he would go and buy it, buy it. It's timeless. Yeah. Lennon, in terms of Lennon Beatles songs, man, I, I really, really love, I love Across the Universe. I love Julia, um, you know, which is about his mother. I mean, he wrote, you know, the song Mother about her as well. She was tragically killed. She was run over by a uh, off-duty police officer at such a young age. And then I really love Happiness is a Warm Gun. Um, I mean, there's, you know, Help. I mean, Help, I was listening to an audio of Lennon talking about when he wrote Help and he just said that the lyrics are, were just so true because that's how he was actually feeling, you know, at 25 years old. Help me with the help me, help you know, me. With, with the unbelievable success that that they got, um, and not being able to go anywhere, just being mobbed and being swarmed and and uh, just fe- feeling, you know, trapped by it all. And and you know, you know that that saying like, you know, you're a slave to your success. I think there's a lot of truth to that. And I think John, but especially George, always tried to manage that as best they could and when it was all over i think the two of them were probably the most relieved yeah you know to be able to have some kind of life because you know largely in new york city uh lennon was um he's left alone man he was respected as an artist and not really bothered by a lot of people and he had he had many great years in new york city and that's such a big part of his story 
Um, and it's, it's, uh, we went to the Dakota, we visited the Dakota apartment building in, uh, 2002 where he lived, which is a very, you know, famous legendary structure in New York city. They filmed Rosemary's baby there. Oh, there's a satanic uh, element. Yeah. There's, there's an energy. There's definitely kind of a dark energy there. Um, but yeah, to go there and experience that and see that. And, and, and also just the footage and everybody who gathered after he was killed, you know, out in the streets to, to have peaceful vigils. It just shows you, man, we, we don't have a, a figure like that in 2020 that, that is so that unifying. And, and I, I don't know, maybe we may never have anybody again like John Lennon. And, you know, that's why he's special to me. And that's why I wanted to talk about his music tonight. So. Oh, that's so good. <laughs> yeah, we, we love Lennon, you know? man. We love the yeah. Beatles. Cheers to Lennon on uh, what would have been his 80th birthday. Yeah, coming up. Here's to you, John, thinking about all the beautiful art you created and music you created. Just as long as you stand. Oh, that dovetails perfectly. Me. Yeah, I figured that was a great segue, Mike. Talk to me about it. So, you know, we always want to try and talk about Mickey Rourke. He's, you know, he's my favorite actor of all time, you know, for a multitude of reasons. Um, but, uh, I, you know, I knew about The Masked Singer, which is like this really kind of weird, cheesy reality show. It's like a music competition show. I don't know. I have. I, I don't follow any of those. I haven't really been, you know, I remember those coming out when I was in middle school, you know, almost, you know, 20 years ago. So it's not something that's really on my radar, but, you know, several news articles came out that uh, one of the contestants for uh, the Masked Singer was actually Mickey Rourke in disguise, dressed as like a, God, I don't know what he was dressed up as. Some kind of, bur- yeah, he looked like a cookie monster or some kind of purple, big giant purple bird, but he actually sang, he sang the song Stand By Me, <laughs> which John Lennon did an amazing uh, cover of his 1975 album Rock and Roll, where he played all these rock and roll standards that really inspired him and that he grew up on. And, um, you know, Mickey Rourke sang that, uh, he dedicated that to a friend and uh, it was, it had a lot of heart and soul. So, if you check out anything from uh, the Masked Singer, check out uh, uh, Mickey Rourke singing Stand By Me, um, which was an, an interesting take on it. You know, the, the Benny King original is obviously, you know, hugely influential on rock and roll um, of the last, you know, 55, 60 years. And uh, there's been many covers of it. It, of course, inspired the uh, the film Stand By Me, which was, you know, based on The Body, the original short story by Stephen King. So it, it was it was cool to see that, and that dovetails kind of nicely. So that's what I thought, Mike. Yeah. So what's uh, what's your take on, on, on the debates? It seems like our predictions, or your predictions specifically, really came true with the debate that happened there. The so super spreader from- event. Super spreader. Super spreader of pussies. That's what I'm hearing from everybody who listened that uh, – Talked about what would probably happen in the debate, and it did happen. Trump was Trump was pretty unhinged, even by Trump standards. He was pretty off the fucking rails. And he brought up Hunter Biden's drug use. He brought up his business dealings with Russia. He said a bunch of times, the mayor of Moscow gave Hunter Biden three and a half million dollars. He gave him, why, why did he give him three and a half million dollars? Why, why won't you answer? Why did he give him three and a half million dollars? And he really, uh, he tried to hammer that point home, but by and large, it was just awful. The debate, the debate was just fucking awful. And, you know, to give Biden a little bit of credit, and I'm not one to really give Joe Biden credit, he was, he did, he did better than I thought he would do. Well, I, I did say he'll probably do better than expected, but Biden held it together as best he could, you know dealing with Trump and Trump, Trump was just like a fucking honey badger on, on crack and uppers. It was insane. And Biden had a great moment. He was like, would you shut up, man? Which I think kind of just sums up how people who hate Trump and hate the whole MAGA thing feel and what they would want to say to Trump if they had a podium with him at a debate. So that was part of it. Um, but yeah, we, we didn't we didn't get any policy. We knew we weren't going to get any policy. Uh, what you know? It's, it's it's just a farce. It's it's a joke. It's a farce. 
And uh, the best thing we got out of it is Jim Carrey now playing Joe Biden on Saturday Night Live. And I hope Jim Carrey continues to do that because I've always liked his impersonations. And I thought he <laughs> Jim Carrey has the brilliance with impersonations of really getting under the floorboards of someone and really understanding them and getting their mannerisms and their facial expressions. You know, I appreciate that physical part of an impression in the comedy, comedy which is what I incorporate into my Trump impression. Uh, getting his face down. I, I've you know, been told, oh, you're rubber-faced like Jim Carrey. And that's one of the best compliments you could ever give to someone doing an impression. But, um, yeah, the debate was a joke, and I really wish Joe Jorgensen got a podium. It would have been nice to see her up there. She's the Libertarian nominee. She's on the ballot in all 50 states. Give her a fucking podium. Put her up there. Tell, everybody, you know, sh- tell the American people you, you don't have to. Everyone always says, you know, lesser of two evils. What if we one time didn't pick the lesser of two evils? We went with something different, and we gave it a shot for four years, man. Might actually work, but I don't know. What do you think of the debate, Mike? Oh, yeah. What if you voted for who you actually believed in, not who you were? You felt pressure or, you, you know, there was hmm. virtual signaling uh, being aimed at you. Shaming. About, uh, yeah, vote shaming. I don't do vote shaming. No. Not only do I not do it and project it onto others, I don't accept it or tolerate it from other people. Um, and most well of the vote shaming does come from a lot of liberal people, people on yeah. the left. Is, is yeah. where most of the vote shaming comes from. Um, but I would argue uh, people trying to vote for lesser of two evil candidates has uh, has made us arrive to precisely the nexus point where we are at with Donald Trump. So, you know, well, what does Ventura say, Mike? You're still voting evil. If you vote for the lesser of two evils, it's still evil. <laughs> You're still voting for evil. Well, it's like alien versus predator. No matter who wins, we lose. Exactly. That's Mike. really that every four. That's the tagline of every four years. It's tried and true. I've only been here for just under 34 years, and that's what I see. You know, I maybe I could be wrong. I don't know. Maybe, uh, yeah. The debate was a was a was a uh, God. It was like a wrestling match on steroids. You know, ironically, Trump has been on steroids the last uh, dude, few days. Dude, he's been he raged. He, he may have actually been at the height, dude, of his incubation period with the COVID when he was at the debate. And when his voice raised, dude, he could have been shooting out that COVID nineteen raise. But uh, supposedly, oh. Biden has tested negative several times, so. Um, but yeah, you know, Trump's been cavalier about it. Um, you know, look, I've always contended the entire time. I'm not a scientist. I'm not a doctor. I'm not a fucking health expert. So, um, I, I've, I err on the side of caution. I, I've worn the mask. I wear the mask when I go to a, a business, um, a private event where, where it's requested or it's asked or it's required by an establishment. Um, and anyone that I'm around who wants me to wear it, I will wear it. And uh, I, I, don't, I don't have, like, any complex or problems with that in reality. No, you don't have a chip. You know, we don't have, not, a chip. It, you don't have a chip on your shoulder about I it. I don't have a chip on my shoulder, but I'm also not a mask shamer. I'm not going to be one of those people who starts a fight with someone who's not wearing one. Oh, How do Karen? I know that that person doesn't have lung issues or, 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 or have a health um, condition that precludes them from wearing one? Or, or if they wear one, it will obstruct their, their breathing. Like, we have, like let's, let's try and be reasonable and... and rational about this but we but we can't be reasonable and rational about much anymore these well days. everything's fucking politicized and it, it, this shouldn't be politicized it should not be politicized so i don't know you know it's like people talking about a vaccine and and uh um who's going to take the vaccine who wants to be the first in line as the guinea pig to yeah, do I that know, right I, know. I don't i don't truthfully yeah. You know, there's, there's, I don't RFK, know. RFK Jr. probably won't be there, right? Getting the vaccine? Uh, no, probably not. Yeah. Dude, his speech in Germany, come on. Ich bin Berlin. Yeah, that was incredible. Come on. That dude. was really good. RFK um, Jr. is fucking based. He's, he has a lot of interesting things to say, and I think that his his voice and his perspective should be included in the dialogue. And I think, unfortunately, when you're looking at interviews, and especially on the mainstream media, um, you know, these talking heads they put on there, who's paying them? What are they mm-hmm. saying? What's the narrative they're spinning? And who, whose payroll are they on? I think that has to be asked of everybody. That's, uh, that's what my, my friend Scott said to me in an email thread. He said, you know, you got to remember here, guys, politicians, talking heads, media people, athletes and actors are all paid liars. They, they are literally paid to fucking lie to you and manipulate and spin and obfuscate and, and just weave narratives and fling hot bags of horseshit at you. 
And they're paid very well they're to do paid, that. They, they, got their, they got their they mansion. They paid 15, yeah. 20 bucks an hour like the rest of us. They're paid a little bit more than that. Yeah. They, and, and you know, man, like he's so right. And I hadn't, I just, I hadn't thought of it like that in a while. It was really like kind of a nice, uh, you know, bring you back to earth grounding kind of thing. All these people day in and day out who, who are beamed at us on the cathode ray, as dad used to call it. Fucking cathode ray, man. Are, are paid liars and they don't give a fuck about you or me or anyone else but no. themselves. No. And I think I have to just bring up John Lennon one more time, man, for probably my my favorite John Lennon quote. He said, our society is run by insane people for insane objectives. I think we're being run by maniacs for maniacal ends. And I think I'm liable to be put away as insane for expressing that. That's what's insane's about. <laughs> Dude. Think about uh, that, dude. I mean, that's John Lennon, who reached the pinnacle of fame and money and wealth and power and influence and success, is saying that to you. Maybe you should listen to him, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, you were really disturbed by rewatching that that footage of him in the back of the uh, limo there with Dylan in the on the sixties. Oh, yeah. What was that? Sixty-four or sixty-five? They both <sighs> looked like they were on either alcohol or drugs or heroin had, or yeah, they, yeah, something no, going for on. That, they were no, probably not heroin, but they were Pills. probably at at minimum drunk, maybe pilled, maybe high, but um, kind of du- almost dueling with each other. And Dylan, he was, was like, really out of it. He was out of it, but he was also kind of needling. They were needling each other. They were fucking with each other. And they were, they were kind of speaking somewhat coded. But if you've read about Laurel Canyon in the 1960s and, and what the whole hippie bullshit was and the creation of psychedelics and all of that, if you, if you look at the two of them in the back of the car going back and forth like that and you have that foundational knowledge – and understanding about a lot of the counter culture in the sixties kind of fucking freaks you out, man. You're kind of yeah. like, Whoa, these guys are going back and forth and almost trading war stories at how manipulated they are and how they're actually just puppets. And they're not, uh, you know, they're not well, really... they're being used to manipulate others. Well, exactly. Which you know, is what Lenin really rejected and protested against. It was really rebellious about to, to, to get away from the Beatles. Right, right. He he was incredibly, he was a rebel like that. And George was too. George and John were the two big rebels in the Beatles. You know, so we love Paul McCartney, but Paul will fucking, you know, I know John Lennon died today, but I got a new album coming out. You know what I mean? Like, it's a new collection of silly love songs. Yes. And Ringo was just drunk for a long time. And then he's he Ringo. keeping the peace. He's he was cute. keeping the peace. He's keeping yeah. the beat, keeping the peace. Yeah. So that, that limo ride was in uh, 1966. In okay, London. and what's the context? It's uh, they were staying, I think, at Lennon's ho- uh, at uh, not Lennon, excuse me, Dylan's hotel. They had to go to some press junket. It's right. worth watching if you've never seen it. Yeah, watch it and uh, take away yeah. what you, what you will from it. But I watched it and it was kind of disturbed and intrigued and fascinated by it because. You don't ever see, and you know what? Also, man, Mike, I thought about this. There's got to be tons of other footage, very similar to that, similar to behind the scenes type the, stuff. These guys getting dosed with LSD, whether it's knowingly or unknowingly, and then being filmed with their responses. And then, if you want to, you can use that to pull their strings. Yeah, right. Am I, am yeah. I like off the target there? Or no, there's probably a lot of truth to that. I mean, you're, yeah. you, we just went over the Lennon quote about psychopaths. I mean. Yeah, he would know, dude. Not only that, too. One of the things I loved about John Lennon, too, he was he got the MBE from the Queen, mm. and he just did, he denounced it. Yeah, denounced it. shove shove it up your minge, Queen. Yeah. you know, <laughs> throw it up your minge. You know, he returned his MBE, MBE to the Queen. You know, fifty-one years ago, dude. He Incredible. was protesting. Um, I think England's involvement in some war. You know, and, and the Vietnam War. So he, he, he had the stones to do that back then, man, to stand up to the queen and the royal family and, and the warmongering. And right. And Paul and Ringo got, got knighted. They got knighted. There you go. Lennon caught hot lead. Ventura's like, it's all you need to know. It's all there if you want to read into it or see it. Paul and Ringo were knighted. George dies of cancer and gets attacked by some guy at his mansion. And John Lennon gets shot outside Dakota. Coincidence? I think not. Uh, Ventura would say that, dude. Yeah, he would. Zero Ventura. evidence, Mike. 
Yeah. Oh, there's all kinds of stuff. But his out impulse, there. his impulse in his gut's not wrong though, Mike. It, it tells him otherwise. Yeah, it tells <sighs> him the, the bile in my gut tells me otherwise. Yeah, one hundred percent. Oh no, there's there's quotes from Sean Lennon about his father's death and 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 talking about how he thinks. Um, you know, the government or certain agencies could have been involved and they very well could have been. I mean, I honestly haven't done a lot of research into his, into John Lennon's shooting other than what's like officially out there or how the, you know, the official narrative goes. Um, Cause it is, it is really shocking, but it all, it's also true, man, that someone could have just like Mark David Chapman shown up and had a gun and hung out and, and uh, basically stalked him and then shot him, you know? Back then in 1980, I mean, Lennon wasn't walking around with like a lot of bodyguards, man. He was just kind of doing his thing. He liked, like I was saying earlier, man, he liked the kind of a little bit of the anonymity that he was treated with in New York and the respect and he was kind of left alone. And that was right. part of the whole, part of the whole deal. And the last autograph that Lennon signed was for Mark David Chapman hours before he was shot on his way to go, um, you know, work on some new music. That's crazy, so, man. It is. So we had the debate. We have another debate coming up um, this week on Wednesday, the vice presidential debate between Kamala Harris and Mike Pence. And now apparently they're going to have like plexiglass guards that are going to be installed. It's going to be like yeah. the penalty box, you know, you know, yeah. the penalty box when, when two guys are fighting, they, they got, they get five for fighting and then they throw them in, in the opposing penalty box. Trump gets five for COVID. Excuse me. Excuse me. Excuse me. Mike, Mike Pence gets, you know, five for fucking hating gay people and Kamala Harris gets five for locking up uh, truant mothers, uh, the mothers of truant children from school and prosecuting people who want to smoke a plant. Right. Sounds good to me. Yeah. But they're not going to talk about any of that, Eric. Just like the first debate between Trump and Biden, they didn't talk about foreign policy at all. Talk about shit. They didn't talk about Julian Assange. They didn't talk about Edward Snowden. And I'm really glad to see that this week, uh, Congresswoman Tulsi Gabbard, our friend Tulsi standing up once again to drop the bullshit charges against Snowden, as well as lessening everything for Assange and speaking truth about it. And she's collaborating now with a Republican Congressman, Matt Gates. Tell us about that. Oh, Matt Gates, dude, you know what? After watching the swamp, that documentary on, uh, what was it on Showtime or HBO where they followed Matt Gates around Thomas, Ma Thomas Massey's part of this too. He's, I'm not surprised. He's, he's big on fucking exposing the national security state and their fuckery. Yeah, um, that was the HBO documentary, The Swamp. The Swamp. So Matt Gates on Amazon did, Prime. Check it out. He's a young uh, <laughs> congressman from Florida. And, you know, he's Mondo-based. He loves the king, dude. He is, he is so loyal to the emir, dude. He would die for his king, I think. He would die for MAGA, Mike. Oh, he's, he's a MAGA Republican. Like there, there was a, uh, a sequence in that documentary where some old woman down there in Florida at one of his uh, town halls or his meetings was talking about the pledge or the national anthem or something. In <laughs> <laughs> Matt Gates, dude, Matt Gates fucking starts singing. Uh, is it the national anthem? Yep. He starts. No, sing she does. She's like, like I want to sing the. It. He gives her the mic. He gives her the mic, dude dude and it's just so fucking good it's so good dude you don't need to talk about any policy you don't need to talk about your voting record no specifics dude it's just unbelievable but i tip my hat to that because gates is uh telegenic he's he's media he's savvy his team he's is nice hair yeah he's a handsome dude he's a handsome dude and it's funny because he's in the documentary saying tonight i'm just gonna have i'm gonna eat lamb tonight you know i'm trying to lose weight and he had like how much weight he's lost in a uh, period of time which of course i can relate to with with how i'm eating these days the last couple of months um losing weight which i'm down about 25 pounds by the way people so we're doing well yeah eric's looking very good he's looking good in the jowl the jowl has to put less orange on it <laughs> It needs less orange. Yeah, we're both down about 25, 30 yeah, pounds. Yeah, but, you know... It's it, a work in progress, folks. It absolutely is. But anyways, Matt Gates teaming up with Tulsi and Thomas Massey and, um, you know, they, they basically are like, look, Snowden has done good for our republic, has done good for the world. He revealed... Illegal things, illegal things that our government does. And we all know 
the thing's rotten to the core. But people like Snowden and Julian Assange, get, get, they showed it to us. They showed us the proof, man. Assange was a publisher, man. He's not. He's, he's not a journal- this, like, He's a real he's, journalist. He's not this hacktivist like hacker uh, thing that rapist. People, yeah, hacker rapist. No, no, he's a publisher. He does the same thing the Guardian does, the New York Times, the New York Post, the Was- Washington Post. All these rags do. He's got way more coverage than they do. And he, I'm not saying he's completely altruistic, but he does it for a reason that's going to be more helpful to humanity and not to profit. I mean, dude, that guy's been psychologically and physically tortured basically for the you know last several years there there was plots against him against his life to try and kill him they wanted to infiltrate i mean there, it, it's the dude's only 50 years old but he, he's probably got the, the health and physicality of a waning 80 year old seriously mm-hmm. the way he's been treated and neglected his health has been neglected during his incarceration yeah and you know what another thing is mike and i tell a lot of people this dude trump owes his presidency to julian assange oh i love the wiki leaks i love willy willy leaks i love willy leaks i love willy leaks yeah absolutely he does he very large and this by and large this bullshit meme from the left and the demo well not even the left neoliberal democratic assholes that assange was just a russian puppet and a, a fucking vessel that's for bullshit. Putin. That's fucking horseshit. That's dude. bullshit. That's horseshit. I was I was on Capitol Hill in 2010 with my friend Josh Steber, who served in the Iraq War, who was there working with Dennis Kucinich during the release of the video called "Collateral Murder," which was our troops in Iraq firing on journalists in Iraq on the van, the video, the video is famous. I mean, you can find it anywhere. And they ended up killing, uh, several journalists and innocent people. They weren't terrorists. They weren't Al Qaeda. They weren't insurgents. There weren't any of that bullshit. I understand fog of war. I know that. How about we just don't even have fog of war because we don't have a fucking war. Don't start a stupid war. But I was there in 2010 and Dennis Kucinich, who, who was one of my, you know, one of my heroes. He's one of my mentors. I love Dennis. He's a, he's a, He's great. He's great. He's got courage. He's got guts. He's got balls. He's intelligent. Um, you know, I was there on Capitol Hill that day when, when Josh was showing him the video and drawing on his own experience as a soldier in Iraq, as a conscientious subjector, saying, you know, handing his weapon in and saying, I'm not going to do this anymore. So that informed a lot of how I feel about everything. And then it all blows up with Assange and, and Snowden and you know, it's like people don't want to hear it, though, Mike. People don't want to hear about it anymore or at all, really. They're clueless. People are fucking clueless about this stuff. I think there's a hunger for it, man. There's a hunger for truth for what's going on in our world. And, and you know, like we've been saying, man, I think above all, man, 2020 and, and the Trump presidency has ripped the Band-Aid in the face off of all of it. We knew it was nasty. We knew it was bad. We had the veneer of... Um, civility, goodness and civility. And, you know, we have Biden up there like, looking into the camera, like, come on, America, come on, America. I'm gonna, don't, don't believe that. Don't fucking believe that bullshit guys. I can't believe anybody with, a, with like a college degree or a little bit of intelligence actually fucking believes that horse shit from Joe Biden. Like Joe, Bi- Joe Biden's going to be the guy that does the sea change in America. I don't <laughs> think so. I think we're way past that. Even if Biden wins. And right now, as we speak and we record this thing, He's ahead by 14 points, and he very well may win the election. I want everybody that thinks that Biden's going to be this great return to normal to be upset and angry and defiant and vocal about the fact that there's going to be more bombing campaigns. They're going to be blowing up more brown people in the Middle East, just like Barack Obama did with Biden as vice president, just like George W. Bush did, just like Bill Clinton did, just like Poppy Bush before him and Reagan, all of them. They all do that. So wh- where's the big change? Let's say, let's say Biden gets elected. He gets in there. They have his transition team. They have a new administration that comes in in January of 2021. What does he really, you know, what do we expect him and Kamala Harris to really do that's so drastically different than, than the way things have, have been for the last, you know, 10, 15, 20, 30 years in our country? That's really going to help our country. That's going to that's gonna stop all these wars that we're doing. 
all these bombing campaigns, all the lies in the media, everything that's ruined our country, that's gutted our economy, that shipped our jobs overseas. What the fuck is Joe Biden actually going to do that's going to fix that? And I, I want someone to explain that to me. No one Seriously. can. Seriously. No one can. And this is not an endorsement of Donald Trump. This is an honest, real, legitimate question. Okay? And I don't see it. I, I do not see it. And if Trump gets in there again for another four years, well, God, we're looking at everything that's happened the last four years pretty much on steroids. Well, he doesn't have to deal with uh, running again. Yeah, he's going to be completely unchained, Mike. He's unchained. Which party, though, is like, you know, the nihilist in you. Uh, Part of me kind of wants it. Yeah, I anticipated, I expected, and, and I almost kind of pray for it. <laughs> you this, pray this for atheist, it? He's an atheist kind of prays for it a little bit. Oh, my God. What does Jim Garrison say? It's all gone to shit. It is all gone to shit. So I think the last thing we probably want to touch on is Mel Gibson's movie that we watched. Mike. Oh, God. Dude, you know, Mel. You had me. Speaking of. <laughs> you had me in high hysterics when we were watching that movie. What's it called? Force of Nature? Force of Nature, yeah. Where can people find it? They can find it on Amazon Prime for free. It was available for a fee not that long ago, but they waived that fee because they realized how bad it was. Oh, my God. So, like, Mel Gibson just kind of hanging out in Puerto Rico on vacation. And they decided to shoot a movie around that schedule. Oh, I'm going to be drinking rum from, you know, noon to three. If you want to come over and film me in my easy chair. They had Emil Hirsch. They had Kate Bosworth. They had uh, uh, the guy there from the, the original Expendables who played the uh, uh, despotic dictator. At He's the also in uh, uh, fucking Yeah, David Zendaya. Yeah, Dexter. he's a Dexter. He's he's a good actor, but boy, the whole thing was it just was it was just like a very kind of like overtly racist, uh, misogynistic kind of like exercise in futility. He was on brand they, for Mel. Mel's at his chair during holiday. He's the uncle at Thanksgiving. He's, he's your uncle. Too much, tur- too much turkey and too much rum. Mm. You know, and he's in his lazy chair pontificating about how great things used to be. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And he's a fucking former cop too. That's another thing, oh, Mike. Of course, this he was is. this was totally a back the blue. This was back the blue MAGA. Like this was oh. probably funded by some kind of Steve Bannon offshoot. Steve Bannon had Steve Bannon and some fucking Chinese mining company had to have been connected to it. It was just, oh, it was so <laughs> ghoulish. It was so bad. <laughs> it was good feel, though, Mike. I feel embarrassed for everybody involved. No, it was great. It was yeah. also great. No, it just was like, hey, Mel, It was see great to it was great to see Mel fire a gun again. That's what kind of that's the new normal that I want. Or that's the old normal I want. I want to see Mel firing a gun, being kind of crazy and cartoonish. And, and, and for someone like Mel Gibson, who's this like incredible actor, director, who did movies like Braveheart and The Patriot, the Patriot. and fucking Macbeth and, and Mad Max and Lethal Weapon. Conspiracy Theory. Conspiracy Theory. Ransom. What women want. Look, I know, I know what women want. I've married three of them. I know what they want, okay? They want, what they don't want is prenup, but it's very important to sign that. But, you know, I think Mel, you know, since his meltdown that he had, uh, Hollywood's let him back in. They nominated him for a couple Academy Awards for Hacksaw Ridge, which I thought he did a great job as a director for that movie. He directed Andrew Garfield, who played a um, uh, World War II veteran who didn't carry a weapon. Did, did you see that one? We watched it together. Okay, well, we watched it together. It was good. I thought It's a true story. Um I thought Mel did an incredible job. I think Mel is, is, has a future as a director. As an actor, the last 10 years, we've seen films like Edge of Darkness, uh, Bloodfather, Get the Gringo, Dragged Across Pavement, which, or no, Dragged mm. Across Concrete, which we liked, mm. but was also pretty much... Vince Vaughn, too. I mean, that was, that was a good oh, movie. Yeah. It was I mean, pretty. I, I, I was entertained, Mike. It was. It was horrible, but it was good. Oh, it was so bad. <laughs> that was... <laughs> <laughs> that's where, dude that's where we're at now with mel he's 64 he's pretty much washed up in terms of acting roles man you know i mean clint eastwood is still directing movies he's 90 so there's hope for mel wow clint eastwood's 90 years old sean connery's 92 so there's a place there's 90. a place for right-wing angry white men oh it's so good and we just watched clint the rock e- we just watched the rock mike we did rewatch the rock yeah well <laughs> We had so many laughs, dude, watching dude, it's, that. It's just as good as it was in 96. It's so fucking good, Mike. Dude, you just fucked up your Ferrari. It's not mine. Unbelievable. She, she gets to do, do, the, do, the, uh, do that line. Ish, the winner goes home and fucks the prom queen. Sure is the prom queen. 
Now, Nicolas Cage was probably wearing a wig and false teeth at that point, right? He was in his early to mid-30s when The Rock came out. They probably already had him in a wig, Eric, right? I mean, am I right? Like, at least a, at least a frontal hair piece, like in the front. Like, Cage, we're talking about leaving Las Vegas, Con Air, and The Rock in like a, like a three- to five-year period, dude. Like, coup de gras. Right. Coup de gras, dude. And, the, and this, I said this to you, Mike. The end of The Rock sets up National Treasure. Oh, that was... That was incredible. It's so true, though. Do you want to know who really killed JFK? Yeah. And Trump's like, I know. Maybe I'll release it. Maybe I won't. Maybe I'll tweet about it. Maybe I won't. We'll see what happens. Maybe I'll accuse someone of doing it and then name him to the Supreme Court two years later. Oh, my God. <laughs> Lion Ted. He's like, so, Mike, this is when, this is out in Cleveland. I was out there. He's like touting Mike Pence as his choice as his running mate. And this was 2016. Yeah, he's summer of 16. He's supposed to be, like, talking about his accomplishments, why he's going to be my vice president, you know, serving the red meat to the evangelicals. He's up there, Mike, talking about Ted Cruz's father being involved in the Kennedy assassination. <laughs> Look, I'm not saying this. A lot of reputable people are saying this, like the National Enquirer. Ted Cruz's father was having breakfast with Lee Harvey Oswald. I mean, come on, Mike. I know. He added that little in there, like having breakfast with him. Like it was never. Yeah, it's, that, it, no, what was insinuated that he was like maybe handing out flyers with him for the fair you know, play. Which is actually was, probably true, dude. Cruz's father was probably involved in anti-Castro shenanigans. It, could, it very well could be, you know. But, and we're going to do some episodes on the Kennedy assassination next month for the 57th, 57th anniversary of, of his assassination. But absolutely <sighs> will. Well, that's incredible. Did we get everything we wanted to talk about, Mike? I'm spent. <laughs> I just want to. I just want to tell you. I just want to tell you. I'm very excited for our birthday. I'm very excited to listen to John Lennon's music and yeah. remember his contribution to popular yeah. culture. Um, once the nukes fly off or the climate decides to act up on Mother Earth, you know, none of that's going to matter or be around or mean anything. So while we're here, let's make sure it does. Awesome. Well, this is fun, Mike. It's been great. If you like this podcast, click subscribe, like this, share it. We've got a Patreon page, patreon.com slash jackmanradio. I'm on Instagram. Mike is not on Instagram, so don't, don't go searching for Mike Jackman on Instagram. Right, Mike? I only do Facebook. Good for you. I'm on Twitter, at jackmanradio. And uh, come say hi to me on Twitter and on Instagram. Let me know what you think. We appreciate you listening. And I hope you're doing well. And you're navigating this world. And that you take care. And you have a great rest of your day. Thanks we for love listening. You.